Welcome to this episode of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series, where we talk about topics of interest to small businesses and current economic conditions. As many of you have seen in our most recent episode, we diverted a little bit from our normal format and got uh, some interesting uh, stories to tell uh, based on our small business clients here at the bank that are either uh, unique and or uh, very successful in their small business endeavors. And in today's episode, we have a, a gentleman, a long-term customer of the bank who kind of fits both of those bills. Um, so I'd like to welcome Adam Geyer, who is the owner of Living Treasures uh, Animal Park in Newcastle and Keystone Safari Park in Grove City. Uh, just to give you a little quick background, uh, Adam was, again, similar to Joe Callan, who you heard from uh, in our last episode, who now runs Busy Beaver Corporation. Adam is probably one of our other youngest entrepreneurs that we ever lent money to, um, and we're going to let him tell his story. But his businesses, in addition uh, to him starting in them in such a young age, his businesses are also very unique um, in that they involve exotic animals uh, and uh, are highly focused on uh, tourism um, and recreation and visits from the public. Um, I also have with me today, as many of you uh, know, uh, Chuck Lai, our president and CEO from Enterprise Bank, who is very integral um, in uh, reviewing and approving um, a number of different rounds of financing for Adam and his businesses, and uh, uh, was involved um, to a great degree in the construction aspects of Adam's projects, which we can talk about. Chuck, welcome back. Good morning. Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start from the beginning. Um, you grew up in an entrepreneurial environment, um, and you know I think probably from as long as you can remember, uh, were around uh, exotic animals. Can you give us a little elaboration on your family's business growing up? Yeah, well, um, actually I started out, um, grew up in a log cabin in the woods uh, with my parents. They had uh, a lot of different animals. They started out mostly with farm animals. Um, my dad sold firewood. Uh, they had kind of a little bit of a real estate business with my grandfather where they uh, managed land with different things. So being around the country, and you know, I guess I wasn't around as many people, but I was around a lot of animals. So for me, the animal part was always uh, just kind of came natural. Um, right. But as years went on, uh, he got a little bit more diversified in the animals he was raising. Uh, he started providing animals to uh, different facilities around the country that had exotic animals. And so eventually he got licensed and started raising some of his own animals. And uh, I guess that's, uh, you know, how I, I got into it myself at a very young age and was able to get that experience that most people uh, never get the opportunity to, you know, maybe after college I get a chance to work around some of these animals that I was getting to work with when I was just, you know, 10 and 15 years old. So uh, it was exciting to have that opportunity, I guess, uh, you're at such a young age. And I mean, we'll get into this a little further, but, it, you know, dealing with any type of animals, livestock, exotics, is a 24-7 job, right? Yeah, I guess that's, uh, <laughs> people tell me all the time when uh, we talk about, who I am and you know what I do with the animals oh you know it's that's my dream job and I think people always picture that that beautiful sunny day and you know there's the cute animal you know whatever it might be a giraffe or 
out here anyway. Uh, you know, you're there enjoying that animal, which there is a good bit of that, but um, you also got to think about the days when it's 15 below zero, uh, you know, the wind blowing or 95 degrees and, you know, the humidity or the storms. Those are the days that our, our people, you know, it's not always me anymore. I've got yeah. a, a crew that help, but uh, I guess that's what kind of make makes or break you as far as whether you're really an animal person or not because you've got to be able to survive the worst of those times. That's when the animals need you the most. So not everybody realizes that's, you know, that's a big part of what we do. So. Right. And Chuck, I, I seem to remember early on in my time here at the bank, um, one of our uh, uh, former uh, board members who unfortunately has passed on has always made the comment that we never want to lend on anything that uh, eats or poops. <laughs> I'm using polite yeah, that, terminology that was, that's, here. That's quite the terms at times. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it was kind of one strike against Adam right off the bat, but, you know, uh, we looked at the fact that this was not a novel type of business for him and kind of grew up with it. Yeah, I mean, we always look at the, as we talked about previously, the character and work ethic and how active the owner is in the business and while animals don't make the best collateral for a bank because you know we're not gonna you know we repossess uh, something and then we have a grizzly bear to get rid of uh, I'm not quite sure how I'd ever even begin to deal with something like that but in this particular case you know because of uh, Adam's dad showing us a work ethic and, 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 a, and, a, and an ethical business approach and him kind of growing in that mold and always putting his hands dirty and getting involved. That's that's kind of those characteristics that we look for to get behind. And that's, you, can't, you know, there's no loan where everything's perfect. You know, you look at, at, at the matter of pros and cons and you weigh the, see how the scale weighs out as to whether you want to, I get involved or not, but in this case, you know, because of the character of the individuals is what we really zero in on a lot more so than, than you know, whether they're animals as collateral or something else. Right, right. So Adam, um, you grew up in the business, and then, you know, and, and you have to refresh my memory how old or actually young you were when you actually had the opportunity to purchase one of your father's uh, parks. Yeah, we started talking about it in 2004. Um, it was 2005 when we pulled it all together uh, with you guys, and uh, I would have been 19 years old then. So. Wow. Um, it, yeah, everybody was surprised. I guess uh, because I was so young, it was, again, you know, one of those marks against me, I guess, in a lot of ways. Uh, and people that worked with me, most of them were older than me. Um, that was a challenge. Uh, a lot of people kind of took the notion that, at that age, I must have just had the business handed over to me, and of course, you know, couldn't really say it at that point in time. The amount of loans I took out and the things that were, you know, securities I had, or the, you know, a little bit of pressure on myself to pull it all together. It wasn't right. like it was just handed over. So, a lot of ways, it was a, you know, it was a, definitely a learning period for me. I thought I knew what I was doing stepping into it, and then once you got started, you realize there's a lot of things that you weren't really, you know, seeing were going to come, you know, as far as how people are going to respond to having a new boss all of a sudden, you know, even though I've worked with them for years, um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, people knew who I was. And, uh, once I, once I was in charge of, you know, some people thought, well, who's this kid, you know, why would, why would we listen to somebody, you know, at his age, tell us how to do things. And 
things have been kind of set in a way for their, a period of time there, and I wanted to grow and change and do things different, and that wasn't the most popular thing. So, uh, you know, starting out that starting out that early, obviously, has been an advantage in a lot of ways, but also it wasn't the easiest path either, uh, you know, to kind of get started and, right. you know, and get through that, over that hump. So. Well, you're one of the few people that can say you're a well-seasoned entrepreneur at what age now? I'm 37. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too is right, right as we got going there at, uh, at Living Treasures, then, uh, you know, the economy got a little bit ugly at that point. Uh, so again, I, you know, having the debt and having, um, you know, that feeling that, you know, it's going to be tough going for a while. I think that that helped me a lot to, to figure out ways to get efficient and, you know, and, and push ahead some of the changes that maybe weren't the most popular thing with our, our crew early on or, you know, people I was working with when things started to turn ugly, and, you know, um, in the economy, then we kind of had that excuse, like, well, you know, we don't have a choice. That's what we got to do. And right. you know, that, that helped us to, to gain a lot of ground. So. Right. So, um, you know, you, you took over the business at that young age. What was it? Maybe you don't even remember at this point, but what was kind of your vision for that park after you took over? Or what, what did you want to do with it um, that perhaps your dad didn't when he was running it? I think uh, I always had different med- different benchmarks from the time we started. I know uh, first year there was uh, about 40,000 customers or just under that. And I always thought to myself, you know, if we could, if we could just hit 75,000, you know, I had different, different numbers along the years of, this how many people, if we could get that many people, we'd be, you know, kind of on easy street or it'd be, yeah. you know, so much better. So I think that, uh, you know, the first couple of years was mostly focused on just kind of cleaning the place up. Uh, it needed some maintenance work done to it. Uh, you know, my, my dad had different businesses at the time and that one had, uh, had been around for I think 14 or 15 years when I stepped in. So there's a lot, a lot of the fence posts were needing replaced. A lot of that type of work that was just uh, routine things that was, time to be redone. So I was focused on that for the first couple of years, just kind of making the best of what we had. And then once I got established a little bit, then we focused on, you know, how we could grow things from there. So your primary metric was like, you know, people through the gate, so to speak. Yeah, people there, but also, uh, you know, do things. Uh, I wanted to create a little bit of excitement in the community. So we tried to change how we marketed things. We tried to have different uh, uh, advertising plans and what we, you know, what it, happened previously and also uh, you know just tried everywhere we could try to get a fresh look uh, you know something that's just like coat of paint on you know the entryway or uh, just the little things you could do without spending a lot of money just to kind of show people that you know it's gonna it's gonna be a little different here moving forward you know try to get that attention on again so um, I think that that constant change for a place like us that keeps people interested wanting to come back and you know we developed a lot of fans over that period of time because they could see the changes coming and uh, you know people would come back in the fall to see what we had done through the summer and then come back the following spring to see the progress made of winter. You know, there's a little bit of excitement there that really helped us. Right. So give us, give us this, Chuck and I, and, and we know this, but for our audience, kind of a, a sense of what the park, the original park has become in terms of its scale, in terms of number of annual visitors, um, you know, location size. Give, give a little commercial. Yeah, so I, I guess, uh, the Living Treasures Park uh, is about uh, it's 11.7 acres, so it's not a huge facility. Um, we, uh, we have around 200 animals there currently of all different sizes, but uh, 
uh, I guess our, our peak season that we had was 2017, right before the safari opened. Uh, we had uh, 186,000 people through that year, uh, through that small facility there. And, uh, you know, we were bursting at the seams at that point. We had, and you uh, started with, when you took over, 40,000? I was in the third, yeah, the upper 30s. Uh, the first, my first year, we almost hit 40,000. That was my target court. Yeah. Or that was one of the goals I was hoping to reach, and we didn't quite get there. I remember that. And then after that, we grew, you know, each year consistently from there ahead, you know, took a small leap. So it's not like it happened overnight. But uh, as we cleaned things up and changed things, I had some new animals and just, you know, uh, as we got that excitement in the community, we always just gain a little ground each year yeah. uh, until when we opened the safari. Then we, we took a little bit of a step backwards, of course, because we're kind of part of our goal is we need to spread the crowd around a little bit. We couldn't handle so much there. Uh, you know, we were parking cars across the highway on the neighbor's land and things like that that weren't really appropriate for how we were doing business. You know, it was kind of a liability, it was a safety concern. Right. Uh, so we finally, uh, when we got the safari going, uh, you know, that dropped down to now we're closer to 130 to 150,000 people a year, which is still a lot more than what we had, uh, you know, starting out, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a number that we can manage at that size of facility. Uh, I also, when we started all this, we kind of thought that maybe the safari would be the primary, you know, maybe someday living treasures would relocate everything to the safari. Right. Um, you know, maybe for me in a lot of ways, it'd be a, you know, an ideal situation, to manage it a little bit easier, to, you know, to have my eyes on everything every day, that sort of scenario. Uh, it's a lot easier said than done, though, I guess, uh, you know, just how, how things play out. You know, we just got to do what's smart for the, you know, for the park. So uh, the other big factor that we haven't talked about yet is our commitment to the animals, actually, uh, you know, as we, as we built things out, we always tried to make things a little bit better, uh, whatever, whatever species that we're, um, you know, either bringing into the park or animals that have been there for years. We try to upgrade, uh, you know, give them bigger spaces, more natural areas, uh, just kind of modernize things, I guess, uh, you know, to fit into how things are in zoos today uh, and, you know, try to set standards above and beyond what other people have done up to this point. You know, that's probably why, why we went to the, the new facility there. That, that's actually a point I was, I was going to bring up a little later, but probably a good jumping off point now. Um, you know, there's always scrutiny on the zoo menagerie business is it exploitation of animals um you approach it in a totally different way and you maintain some pretty significant standards that i'm not sure and accreditations that i'm not sure the general public knows about in terms of how you treat your animals yeah well it's when you're raising animals like what we do it um you know their health is as important as anything to us, uh, you know, without them, nobody's going to come to our parks anyways. So, um, you know, we've always made them a priority. Um, but as time goes on, as we, you know, as we've grown as a, as a facility uh, and um, uh, visited other places and seen the best of the best all around, you know, the what the big city zoos are doing, what the biggest private facilities around the country, um, you know, we look at those things and we figure out, you know, how can we match that and exceed that. I think that that's you know that's the key thing. It's not so much, it's not so much about the bottom line. Um, what is, we find efficient ways to build things. Try to give large areas, large square footage for the animals where they have safe spaces and things. You don't have to make it like a temple or you know uh, like how some of the, uh, uh, you know the big spenders do. You know some of these projects can be done for half a million dollars that uh, the city might find a way to spend five million dollars. You know what I mean? It's just uh, just the nature of it. So we try to. 
we try to prioritize making things nice for the animals, but also efficient so we can operate a business and, and survive, you know, that way. So I think that that's where, you know, it's really what's defined my career up to this point is finding that balance between keeping uh, the animals healthy and happy and operating, a, you know, an efficient business where we can grow, reward our employees uh, over time, uh, you know, and, and see things develop and not just be stuck and stagnant because we're spending all of our money, you know, to try to take care of the animals. Well, you know, you've got to grow in that process or you're right. eventually going to start losing. So. Well, I think one of the skill sets, and Chuck can speak to this um, uh, as kind of our uh, inspector, construction manager for any of the, the, the kind of building projects that the bank finances, is an important part of your skill set is the ability to, to build things on your own in a custom manner to accommodate a very unique type of inventory, so to speak. So, Chuck, you've been involved in... Adams projects at both parks from a construction standpoint. Can you talk a little bit about you know how important it is to you know for any type of borrower in in a in a type of business that has a construction component to have those that kind of background and knowledge, which is is obviously very important when we're looking at lending. Well, for us, you know, we limit our role into protecting our loan. That's the major purpose, and there's a synergy with the borrower because obviously we're looking after their best interest too. Um, and we had we had a contractor on his uh, Grove City project that was less than stellar in performance. <laughs> there's so, a few of those. <laughs> yeah. So we would, you know, we would get into situations where they were asking for money that they really hadn't earned. What they were asking for, and uh, I think sometimes it's easier if I'm the one saying no than it is if Adam's the one saying no. Um, so we had some of that. Um, we, I would say, we didn't have as much fear of that on Adam's job because, again, you, you get to know your your client too. In our case, Adam. We knew he had the ability to do it himself and had a crew that can do a lot of it to the extent there's a shortfall or something like that where there are other clients that we do inspections for that we know don't have the ability to, to do what they're doing. And so the contractor becomes even more important that we know that person can perform. Um, but we, we certainly had our, we had our issues on, on that one. It's been a long time. I wasn't really thinking about it, but I do recall us having some discussions where I'd call back and say, uh, my miss is something. This is uh, supposed to be done. <laughs> uh, some of the things I didn't think we were going to be too worried about when we started out, they ended up being big parts of what we did to pull it together. Uh, but we also, um, you know, took us a little longer than expected to get that all uh, on track as well. Yeah. I think one of the most important things really, uh, you know, Chuck, when you come up and walk around, you would help me to uh, to understand, you know, these people that we're working with. It's important that, that we have the high expectations and, you know, get what we need out of them. But uh, really, you know, it's me that's on the hook if things don't go well. So getting that reminder, not anybody else would be able to make me understand that, but be able to walk around with you and you'd say, hey, you know, this, uh, you know, you can blame them. But really, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you just got to pull this together, you know. That helped me a lot just to be motivated and understand, you know, 
what it means to, to pull something together as far as a business and, you know, in a startup uh, and having all those different things. Our permitting was another, you know, huge obstacle there with the safari. So. Well, yeah, um, we've been alluding to the safari park. So um, let's, let's get a little bit into that story. So what was your vision there and, and, and how did it work out and what you've accomplished up there yeah. since? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a moving target, I guess. We're always, you know, uh, as far as how did it work out, I'm not too sure yet. You know, <laughs> ask me another 18 years, maybe we'll know. But uh, it's, it's currently, it's, uh, you know, we're 144 acres. Uh, you can fit Pittsburgh, Erie, and Akron Zoo all inside of our footprint there and still have another 50 acres. So we feel that's pretty special. You know, have that, have that type of space for the animals. It's just a lot of natural space to, to take advantage of. We don't have it overpopulated. We try to have, you know, got trees and green grass and, and that type of thing. So that was a big part of my, what I had envisioned was trying to create something that just had a modern look about, you know, uh, some of the bigger safari parks around the country. Uh, I'd visited them and I'd seen the large open areas. Then I'd come home and see, you know, what some of our animals were in. And I just, you know, I felt like, you know, find a way to do better. And um, eventually as the park, in Newcastle, this living treasures grew, uh, got to that point where we kind of, you know, we needed more space. I tried to work with some of our neighbors there, and at the time it just didn't work out. You know, I couldn't couldn't find a way to buy more land, so uh, we ended up looking at the other location, which early on seemed like kind of just a dream. And then uh, as we had our conversations and started doing the research and, you know, the due diligence, I guess, that we talked about, uh, you know, for probably a year leading up to the time that we even pull the trigger to buy any land or do it, you know, do anything significant. Uh, we just, uh, um, you know, just took, took a period of time to really build up that confidence, that knowledge, you know, we could pull it together. And then of course, once we started, then we started getting knocked around a little bit, realized, you know, some of that stuff wasn't even what we expected was going to be. And, uh, you know, it's just great to have, great to have the, uh, um, the knowledge that you guys brought to the table, um, in order to, uh, overcome some of those things because it, you know, a lot of it was just, uh, you know, me in some ways, uh, as a small business owner, uh, you know, you, you set the bar and all your expectations, things you want to accomplish, but then when things start falling, you know, you're counting on different people and things start falling down different areas, then, you know, eventually you get spread too thin and, um, you know, and having certain people that could step in and say, Hey, you know, we need to pay some attention to these different areas. Uh, you know, have somebody that could look at the numbers and point out the different differences and things that would, uh, you know, help us to, to bring things back on track, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when we were going through the developing phase there. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, we, it was important to us to find efficient ways to do things so we could uh, get the park built out to the point where, you know, we had the animals out in the spaces that we wanted to have, but not right. spend, uh, you know, all of our budget to accomplish not enough where we couldn't get people to show up for it. So. Right. So obviously it's still a work in progress, but your first phase of development to open the park, you finished when? Well, we, when we first started there, uh, we had in mind that we were going to do the, uh, the kind of the drive-through sort of, or uh, we were going to have a tour, a tram-type tour that would go around the facility. That was going to be the initial development. Once we got into the permitting process, we ran into some snags. Uh, some of the things that were approved early on through the township uh, DP at the state level and at the county level, there were some issues, you know, some snags that, uh, where we had to take a few steps back. So, went up again, being a moving target, we uh, reevaluated our situation after we bought the land. 
we started to develop our walkthrough side of our park, which was going to be a future phase, we pretty much flip-flopped the whole thing and, you know, shifted our focus to making that part of the park first, uh, getting it open. Uh, we started we started the permitting process in 2014. Uh, 2015, we bought the land. And then uh, it was 2018, end of 2018, when we actually got open for the first time there in the walkthrough section. So if you call that phase one, you know, it was late 2018. Yeah. Uh, 2019, I think, was probably our toughest season of all, uh, you know, my career because we had animals leaving one park to come to the new park. We had construction everywhere. Uh, you know, the park was open. And uh, some people were saying, well, you know, you're taking all the animals from one park. You know, why do we want to go there anymore? Uh, you know, so you had that kind of that negative feel. And then you had the people coming to the new place and saying, well, you know, there's construction everywhere. Why would we want to come here? So uh, it was hard to find, you know, find the right traction that year. And uh, wouldn't you know, the community gave me business of the year for, you know, for opening the safari <laughs> that year too. So they didn't look at the numbers and bond share. I think just, you know, just based on merit that we right. built this, you know, beautiful park. But um, it just, uh, and I then guess. A, and then a little thing crept into all of our lives in early 2020, yeah. uh, COVID. So you were kind of, you're, you and your types of businesses were kind of in a unique position. So can you talk a little bit about both the challenges but the benefits yeah. that your well, your type of business saw from from the pandemic early on early on the timing of the situation was you know was tough for us because our, our season was just going to be kicking off we opened april 1st and i think it was march when things really started to get ugly um and of course at that time there was no talk yet of uh, any of the uh, payroll protection program or yeah. any of those different things that were happening uh, afterwards so uh you know We'd come off of, like I said, probably one of the worst years of my career. Um, didn't have a lot of resources at that point. Uh, you know, we're pretty well spent out as far as what we, you know, had available to us. So uh, I was feeling feeling a lot of pressure at that point. Right. Uh, we found ways, cut costs everywhere we could, but keep the animals well cared for. Uh, you know, we um, did quite a few changes around the park and quite a few changes staffing wise. I got more hands on in a lot of ways. Uh, you know. And, Again, you just find, you know, when things get tough, you find ways to get better at what you're doing. And, you know, that's what we try to do. Uh, once we got going with the, uh, the payroll protection program, we had a little bit of understanding, you know, we, you know, we can survive a few months anyways, you know, with this, that we can maybe get open or, you know, who knows what will happen. Uh, you know, once we got to that point, then I started to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to look at, can we get our drive through section opened up? Because... It would be something for the community to come and do that they wouldn't have to be in contact in with other. contact with other people and that's what everyone was looking for at that point in time so uh, i guess it was i, I know when when we did the walk around uh with uh jay and and chuck and we talked about the project uh and you know there's a lot of concern about the future at that point but we knew we had at least a little bit of security with the payroll protection program yeah. we went over all the details uh you know uh, enterprise bank was a big help in getting that whole process too. I remember uh, we were way ahead of some of the other businesses that I knew yeah. that, that had larger banks that worked with because uh, I guess you guys had uh, you know better connections with the uh, SBA, right? Yeah. So that you know kind of prioritized things. So that part was huge for us. Uh, but once that was secured, then uh, you know we talked talked about you know do we build out the safari? I had just enough money really to you know that we could survive. A little while 
build it out and hope that we'd get rolling that year enough to get the income to, you know, to... It sure did, to, didn't it? Right, to survive to the next year. Uh, and I know when I explained my plan initially, everybody kind of looked at me like, you know, you got to be got to be nuts to be thinking we're going to spend that money right now. Uh, but then after we talked talked it through and people started to think about the idea that, you know, of how it's going to be spread out and, you know, the opportunity to give the community a place to go and not be in contact with other people. Um, and also I, I knew other safaris around the country that were starting to get real busy because they were, um, you know, experiencing that same situation. So I had the confidence, that, you know, as long as we could get it built and put together, which it was part way there already, we just, we had to finish it. Um, but I was also nervous that, you know, there's a few month window that it's either it's done and it's going to do what it needs to do, or we don't get it done and I'm going to be in a real big hole. So, uh, you know, I think that's what we were all feeling at that time. And, you know, we were fortunate that it would, uh, go the way it did that we got it built. I was lucky to have a, you know, very good excavation contractor who worked with McCray Excavation out of, uh, Pendleton. They've helped us for years and they, you know, they prioritize our project. I think I called them. I called him on like a Tuesday and said, hey, you know, we think we, we're going to try to do this for the drive-through park. Uh, and Wednesday or Thursday, they had equipment hauled in. And by the weekend, he was there running the bulldozer, you know, getting things yeah. going the way we wanted. So uh, I was really lucky to have, uh, you know, a couple of crews that really stepped in and helped us out that way, too, to pull it together. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely a, it was a time for us that we didn't know what to expect. We knew that it was kind of a make-or-break scenario and uh, just came together the way we needed to in order to get, you know, the income that we needed to survive the year and also uh, the following season, you know, have a little bit of growth and, uh, and development yeah. to kind of put things on track for us. Kind of put you, you know, probably, I mean, the, you know, the uh, the restrictions on other recreation and, and other opportunities for families, you know, uh, benefited you guys and kind of built that base of your, for repeat clientele. So. I think there was a couple of things, the drive-through being so new, it did early on early on we weren't prepared to handle a big crowd yet we hadn't figured out how to yeah. manage the traffic and things so there were some disappointing days for the customers where they waited in line too yeah. long or you know kids had to go to the bathroom and they're stuck yeah. out in traffic somewhere there were different scenarios that didn't go as well as we wanted it to uh but overall most people had a great time and you know we're thankful we got i don't know how many you know families that called in or, or sent us uh, put messages on facebook or google reviews that you know thanking us for having something like that where they could get out with their family and do something during a time where everybody was you know pretty depressed right. and generally wasn't much you could do so uh you know it was it was a business opportunity in some ways but it also uh you know it, without what we did the survival of the park and maybe you know how things would have played out the uh you know we might might not have the same outlook on the future that we have now if we hadn't pulled that all together i'm not sure how it would be so. right so chuck we you and i talked uh, several times in prior podcast episodes, this is classic, you know, um, there were, there were winners and losers, uh, related to the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we did have a, a group of, of customers that were able to adapt quickly, um, and make a positive out of what could have been a big ne negative. Yeah. And, uh, I think it is, it's hard <clears throat> I think a lot of people underestimate the pressure that you go through when you're making a decision like we made to open up the park and adjust the plan to allow the driving part of the park to get get completed. I mean, um, 
if that hadn't gone well and and it went better than I think anybody anticipated uh, it was and it ended up being COVID ended up being almost an asset and a help rather than the hindrance that we were all expecting but the pressure you go through uh, is what separates you know the employee versus the entrepreneur I mean and being able to handle that kind of pressure and to get through that type of thing because sometimes it's not a success sometimes it's a failure I mean how many times did Milton Hershey fail before he before he was successful and uh, I can remember us sitting there uh, just thinking about oh my god if this doesn't work we're, we're in trouble <laughs> and we got to really think about how you know I me mean, I always want to plan B and C and we were at that stage I'm like I'm not coming up with a B or a C here we, we this has to work <laughs> and, and it did but I mean it, it just well, you know, running your own business is, is not as easy as everybody thinks it is when you go through one of those situations because you know, if it doesn't go through you lose your house you, you lose everything you work for um it's a it's a real tough tough situation to be in and and not everybody can handle that pressure and, and go through uh what adam went through and, and to to create the result of what we what we got i think that goes back to what we said early on i mean you know we uh had had a a, a very favorable track record and knew with what your work ethic was and that you know if you failed, it wasn't going to be for lack of effort. <laughs> and that was, that's a really important consideration for us when we get into riskier projects, I think. Um, so get through COVID, ends up being a little bit of a shot in the arm, helps you build a client base. Let's bring it around to what we're dealing with today. So the word of the year <laughs> is inflation. Um, now, granted, you're a highly seasonal business, so it's you know a little early to tell what 2023 will bring. But what what were your impressions? You know, when inflation started to take hold last year, how did that affect you know your businesses and the visitors? Yeah, well, I guess uh, I, the last couple 2020 and 2021, we saw growth at, at uh, the safari there. Of course, uh, when we got to 2022, I had already kind of uh, I think we had all had some sort of idea that things were going to shift a little bit there wasn't as much money being circulated or you know it just uh, seemed seemed like uh everybody was excited to spend the last couple of years something was going to have to change with that uh and so i kind of you know i i could feel that there's going to have to be some adjustment and i think over time we're uh you know we're seeing our drive-through area uh is not as busy as it was uh you know fuel prices are a little higher uh, you know, and, and again, like you said, inflation, people are maybe being a little bit more careful with their, their extra spending. Also, uh, you know, if you plan a family vacation that nowadays, you're basically, you plan a year in advance. A lot of people that had all that money the last couple of years, uh, you know, came in from the different programs that were out there. Uh, you know, maybe they were making commitments for this year to, you know, to go to travel to large vacations and things like that. And then, uh, things get a little bit tougher than expected. So, then you know, maybe you don't spend as much as you would locally on you know places like ours. Yeah, I felt like uh, you know we we survived the year, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't the growth that I was hoped for. You know, I was whatever our benchmark is or the best we've ever had. I want to do a little better the next year. You know what I mean? That's that's always as a small business owner, I guess how you you know how you should set that bar. I feel uh, you know uh, so when you see that things are maybe going to change, uh, you, you know you got to find ways you know 
are we going to get a little more efficient? How, you know, are we going to adjust? And we find we find those ways. And right now, you know, shifted uh, certain things that we do, shifted some focuses and things just to uh, be prepared for what we think are, you know, going to be a little bit tougher times for a little while. But I also feel that maybe next year, now that this is kind of set in, to get back people, to people, people going local travel. People are going to want to stay local. And, yeah. You know, maybe it's actually, I know back in 2008 when everybody was panicked, uh, myself included, uh, you know, Park had a great year uh, because we were that cheaper alternative to a big family vacation or something like that. So uh, I think that, you know, I think that we'll get by, right? I just, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to pretend like it's going to be a uh, gangbuster year every year where, you know, just right. gotta, uh, it's going to be uh, endless growth and, uh, and expansion. you got to be prepared for changes like this. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, what I think is going to be people being more careful, you know, with what they're spending their money on, and we just got to be ready for that. So. Right. So, Chuck, you're always, um, you know, a, a big proponent of the fact that, you know, uh, gas prices, oil prices kind of lead the economy in a, in a, in a lot of manners. So what are your thoughts um, based on, you know, Adam's type of businesses and, and local travel versus, you know, vacation, typical vacation travel in light of what's going on in the economy? As far as how it affects Adam's yeah. business, I, I don't. I don't know that I have a, a a good solid answer. You know, you look back, and you know, certainly we had an increase in the travel part of the park when we had isolation from COVID. So there was a unique situation that drove that. Is one of the few alternatives you had to spend time with your family and to do things. So, uh, but now we're into more of a conventional type. Of situation and when you look at those types of things in, in his area there's certainly going to be an effect where people come down to Grove City in that area from Canada and other places far away that that's going to be detrimental to that but on the other hand local people who aren't driving farther away are more apt to come to mm -hmm. a, an operation like that so you know Pittsburgh is it's only you know an hour drive from and so it's it's a convenient way to spend time with your family so I, I think you know I don't see that the negatives and the positives I kind of see balancing out to be a, a typical type of year yeah. I don't think there was uh, the dollars and cents have been affected in our area like where there's a terrible recession and people don't have the discretionary spending it's still there um, I think the the biggest challenge will be as to whether people spend those dollars, you know, going to the shore or going to a typical vacation, or they do the local campground, zoos, things like that. And I see this as being a more of a typical year. Certainly, the dynamics that make up the population will shift. Which ones are here versus not? But I don't see this being a big change year versus typically. Like last year. Yeah. Well, you brought up something I didn't even think about that's really, I think, relevant to the safari park. Because, you know, it's close proximity to the outlets. My understanding, and you probably know this more because you're involved in kind of the tourism community in Mercer County, but Canada is a, is a big driver of, uh, of shoppers and visitors to Grove City. And my understanding was that border only opened a few months ago, fully. Yeah, well, I guess... Uh... Years ago, back back when we were planning the safari, and even you know the years leading up to that, 
There was a lot of talk about the Canadian traffic uh, to the outlets. I think that the way things have been uh, for the last couple of years, it's not, it's not really been much traffic yeah. uh, from what I've seen. Uh, from that, but uh, like he was just saying, I, you know, I think it's it's adjusted to come from other areas. Um, I do think uh, I'm not up to speed with uh, with how retail is faring in today's market or that sort of thing. But uh, you know, when you walk around the outlets compared to the local shopping malls and things, it's you know, it's pretty well developed and open. You know, there's not a lot of closed down storefronts and things. So I think they're doing well there. Uh, I think the big thing that I one of the big selling points I had you folks and progress fund and everybody i you know sold the project to back in 2014 if you drew uh, that circle around grove city out about 100 miles you know look at that radius it was pretty close to 3 million people in population when you get up to close to cleveland pittsburgh yeah uh, you know youngstown area all those different uh, um, urban areas plus the suburbs and everything you know uh so i think that that's there's not many places around the country where you can draw that type of circle and find that type of population and still be able to buy land at a rural type that reasonable value, cost, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. It's not like we're in the middle of the city somewhere either. So, right. uh, you know, I think that is a big part of what's helped you know, both the outlets and, and myself is we just, yeah. you know, there's enough people close by that we can, we can get by even if there aren't as many people traveling on the interstates. The interstates are key too. We're right by 79 and 80, which are probably the two big ones that, you know, in our area here. So, that uh, that's a key thing for us uh, with our billboards and picking up people that are traveling from one end of the country to the other that may have never heard of us otherwise, seeing our signs out there and stopping with their family. I've, I've met a lot of people over the years that have come to our parks from somewhere, you know, they're from a far distance, but they stop there maybe every year on their family trip just because they realize it's there and it's just, you know, they saw the billboard one year and so now every year they stop and bring their family. You know, so we have some of that, uh, but I think that we also count way more on the local, you know, the local yeah. traffic there. That's a unique, a unique thing about, you know, your marketing effort is I think people that have never been to the parks are still familiar with the parks because Design. you got billboards everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the marketing part's always a moving target too, I guess. But, uh, you know, it, that was one thing that I turned my attention to early on, yeah. um, for living treasures. I wanted to get on all the local interstates, both direction, you know, yeah. even if, even if it wasn't, directly put you at our exit or that sort of thing just to get the word out that the parks you know the, the yeah. living treasures was there and now the safari um i think that was key back at that time but now i think the digital marketing is is a little more important you know um, some of the stuff we do that way is a little more intense than what it used to be just because of the shifts over the years so you know people how people spend their time you know uh, now that everybody's on social media on yeah. social media and on their phones so much it's just the driver looking at the road these days. It's not the rest of the car. You know, just the whole family was looking out the window and you'd see the billboard. You know, it's a kids. really good point. I never thought about. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm a, you know, I've got good friends in the billboard business. And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's a bad situation for us. We still yeah. have a lot of billboards, but I do think that there's a shift in, in priorities there because of how things are now. Yeah. Well, again, really unique story. I, hopefully our listeners got, there's been, a, you know, some bumps along the way, but some, pretty good success as well um so i'd like to leave it with this i you know what um advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs based on you know your experiences with these businesses i knew you were gonna ask that i thought thought a lot about that on the way down and uh, i guess the the one obvious thing is don't don't do it because you think it's going to be easy put you on easy street you know i'm going to put in a couple hard years and then 
somebody else is going to take over and I'll sit back and, you know, and just mess on. For me, anyways, even I've, I've been fortunate to meet some of the local uh, successful business owners and uh, developers and uh, the, the people that I've met that have been successful, you know, they're way older than me. They're still pushing, you know, they're still hungry for the next project. They're still, you know, advancing things. You got to really want it if you're going to do it. If, if it's just something that you think is, you know, going to get you from point A to point B, it's, it's maybe not going to work out for you the way, you know, the way you're expecting. That's that's my best piece of advice. But then also, um, I think it's important to point out, you know, early on when I first, I, I met you, Dave, uh, one of our first meetings we talked about, maybe buying a park in uh, Living Treasures in Newcastle. I remember that uh, somebody in the meeting said, well, you know, Dave, he has never presented a project to the board that they didn't like, you know, and uh, and I thought to myself that time, well, that's the guy I need to impress, you know, and uh, and I've put my mind to... you. Well, I was early on in my career then. Believe yeah. me, I've done, I, <laughs> well, I have done that since. Know, I, know that, <laughs> I, know that, I know that at that time, uh, you know, just the idea that, uh, you know, that, you embraced, uh, you know, you, you pointed me in the right direction with the uh, Small Business Development Center um, and when working with them there. They were a huge help um, at St. Vincent College for the Park of Living Treasures there. Uh, when I started working on the Safari Project, it was Yenning University. Uh, Jill Newcomer that was there, she she was a key person. That, you know, she looked at the numbers for me in ways that nobody else did. Uh, you know, she showed up to my place and sat at my kitchen table with me and reviewed things, uh, you know, to... Just like, just like you guys did at times, yeah. to, you know, help put things on tracks. So I think, as far as advice, you got to get, got to get the right people around you. That you know, you might know, you might know enough about, you know, if you're, if you're selling food or you know, ice cream or, you know, happy animals like what I have, whatever it is, you might know enough about that part. But you need to get that uh, support around you, the people that understand how business works, and uh, you know, some of the snags I have with permits for the safari. Uh, the small business development center, Jill Newcomer, she called, she called people and showed up at people's offices and, you know, and, and did things to help me um, that, you know, I, I've been on the phone for, for months and months trying to accomplish yeah. things. She'd show up there and say whatever she said and, you know, it was just problem solving, you know, so, so having those people there that were going to try to help you, I think that's, uh, you know, it's a key thing to try to develop if you're going to try to be successful in small business. Yeah, that's one great thing we have here in Western PA, we have a great support network for entrepreneurs. Um, Chuck, your thoughts on, on, and I know we could do a whole nother podcast episode, but, you know, um, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? Like I said before, you better be able to go to sleep at night knowing you don't have enough money to make payroll tomorrow unless the right <laughs> check comes in the, in, the, in the mail in the morning. So intestinal fortitude. So you have to have that. But, but more, in addition to that, you have to love what you're doing. Yeah. So if you love what you're doing and you have that kind of ability to put up with that kind of pressure and not let it affect your personal life, then those are, those are what you look for, and that's, that's what you need to have. Great advice from both of you. Um, Adam, before we let you go, um, how can people find out more about the parks? Find out more. Well, hopefully they'll show up there. That'd be the best thing. Uh, up at uh, exit 113 off of 79 at the safari would be, um, you know, but uh, we don't open until April. So if, if you're looking to learn about us, uh, it's keystonesafari.com. Uh, or LTM or LTZoo.com. You can look up Living Treasures in Newcastle. 
uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we're on social media, you know, different uh, uh, YouTube and, and everything. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot out there if you start to research us. But um, I guess uh, April think, one, right? April first is usually when we kick things off. It's it's okay. always weather depending. There's yeah. there's times where we push it back a week or two if you know things are too ugly. But uh, we always set that goal of being ready April first, and most times we're ready and open as long as the weather allows us. Excellent. So for all of our listeners, great opportunity for a, a fun day with your family. Two fun days with your family. Got two different parks that offer uh, two different experiences. For those of you that uh, are interested in uh, talking to us about future episodes of Inside the Vault uh, or have any ideas for topics or speakers, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com and you can check us out on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you for watching and listening.